rose and have come, we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, and then we move over to Micah 5. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Epiphath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Okay, let's just pray. Father, just as we take some time this evening to look a little into the Christmas story and the prophecies of past, Father, may I encourage our hearts how you orchestrate things and how you brought about our salvation. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so how long had Israel been waiting for their Messiah? I think sometimes we forget that when we think of Christmas. But when you think of the first time that it was mentioned, what comes to mind? All right, Genesis 3.15. Thank you. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the first inkling. So for the Jewish people, they've been looking forward to their ultimate salvation for a very, very long time. Okay, so a little background of where we are today. There was more to it, though. There was more than just Genesis. We can go back to Deuteronomy. If you look back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain... So this is when Moses was meeting with God out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire. You came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man Man still lives. And then to verse 25. 
Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of our Lord, our God, any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Now they direct us to Moses. Go near, hear all the, all the Lord our God will say and speak to us that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. So essentially what happened was as they heard God's voice, they were afraid and they just looked at Moses and said, hey, guess what? You go. You go and whatever God tells you, you can come back and tell us. So it's a bit of a backdrop to this verse. And we move forward in Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or his daughters as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a neuromancer. Thank you, Necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispose. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And then we go back to that question, how long has Israel been waiting? It continues. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of our Lord your God at Horeb. On the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord our God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. So the promise here is for a prophet greater than Moses. And that's what they were looking for. Somebody greater than Moses who would fulfill more than what Moses did. It continues. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So when we look at that, we're looking that, that God's saying, okay, Moses was my great prophet. And we see that in Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, and there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. But they were looking for a greater prophet than Moses. And when we get to the New Testament, we see by the first century, they were very much looking for somebody. So they confront John the baptizer in um, 19 through 21. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So the prophet here goes, 
all the way back into Deuteronomy for the promise that God would raise up a prophet. So it had been a very, very long time that Israel had been waiting for the Messiah, for the long-expected one. In John chapter 7, we read this, and they even asked this of Christ himself. And when they heard these words, some of them said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Because where were they expecting Christ to come from? Bethlehem. We'll get back to that in a second from Micah. But Christ was born in Bethlehem but raised in Galilee. So there was confusion. But some said, is, is, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Now, I think it's interesting that we find way back in the Old Testament, we begin to see this prophecy of there's going to be a prophet, there's going to be a Messiah. First, first, century, first century theologians, though, mixed it up. They thought that there were two individuals. The prophet was going to be one, and Christ was going to be another. That's why the the, the two groups were divisive over who Jesus was. The rally, reality was the two individuals were one. And, and that confusion, as I said earlier, arose out of the fact of the birthplace was in Bethlehem, but they knew of Christ coming out of Galilee. It was called the Galilean, and that raised confusion among the people. Now, back to Micah. The first oracle focuses on the future Davidic kingdom, and we're going to look at verses 2 to 4. Uh, the writing, we're looking somewhere around 742, 722 B.C. And it is understood to be messianic because we just saw a little while ago when Herod requests, inquires the wise men, they treat Micah as messianic. So it had been a long time people had looked at, at um, the writings of Micah and had already claimed that, you know, this is talking about a future king that's going to come and make things right. So the book of Micah breaks into three parts. We're going to look at the second part. Second part, we see God judges the rulers and he comes to deliver. Uh, that takes us from 3.1 through 5.15. We're just going to look at a bit of it. Um, in chapter 3, first 12 verses, uh, we're talking about really what's happening is the human corruption. God is going to judge the people. I believe it's Babylon that's coming in at that time. Or Assyria, one of them is coming at that time. Which one is it? Assyria at that time. Thank you. I get them mixed up once in a while. Um, we're going to come in. So he talks about the coming conquering of Assyria. And, but he also comes, talks about the coming leader that will deliver and restore the people. The future deliverance and the righteous reign. So here's our verse. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth, and there's that word that we had this morning, yatza, to come out, to produce, to give birth. For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
I like that last word, olam, forever, antiquity, that ancient of days. And that ties into a number of things in the Old Testament. So Bethlehem was not mentioned in a couple of lists in the Old Testament. It was too small. So when when they made the prophecy, they had to distinguish which Bethlehem it was. Um, There were two of them at that time. And, And because it wasn't referenced, it references back the fact that Oh, you saw it in the verse. O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. So when it mentioned the prominent cities around Israel, it was not mentioned either in Joshua or in Nehemiah's list, where a lot of the other prominent cities were. And I think that Ancient of Days is a wink back to... Well, it wouldn't even be a wink back, because Isaiah and Micah wrote about the same time but to what we hear from the Lord in Isaiah 7.14. So we look at Ancient of Days, we're looking duration, we're looking antiquity, uh, everlasting. So when we get to 7.14, Therefore the Lord God himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. So when they looked at Ancient of Days, they were referencing back to God that God was going to do this. But I also think it could be a reference to Isaiah 9, chapter 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So that concept of Ancient of Days also is the Everlasting. The line, for some reason, snuck up when I transferred it over. I'm not sure why. But everlasting. So Israel had been waiting for this this fulfillment of this prophecy. Further on, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. So again, back to that idea of ancient of days, no end, everlasting. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and righteousness, from this time forth, and again, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So I think we begin to see some connections of how the two prophets were writing and a little prediction as far as who was going to look after Israel in the future. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with these words, and in accordance with all that is of the vision of Nathan, of the vision Nathan spoke to David. So again, we see this forever. There's someone coming. There's somebody coming that's greater than anything we've ever seen before, and he will be the ultimate salvation of not only Israel, but the fulfillment of Genesis, our salvation. So back to Micah, Micah chapter 2 this time. This is before we get to, obviously, chapter 5. But, therefore, he shall come, he shall give them up until that time. When she who is labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. So throughout Micah, one of the things that we have going on throughout Micah is a constant of talking about what's going on now but always looking to the future, when it will get better. And here we see this concept. We saw the concept of Ancient of Days. We also see this concept of shepherd his flock. And I think that's important to remember because it shows up so many times later in Scripture. 
and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So again, continual fact that this Messiah is going to make all the difference in the world. There is something unique about the kingdom that they're talking about in Micah, because it's, earthly kingdoms come and go, but what Micah's talking about is something that's going to be uniquely different. A reign of peace, God, the Ancient of Days, ruling through his Son, and it's a kingdom that will last forever. Anyhow, in each case, there appears to be a near and far fulfillment, and that far fulfillment is the second advent of Christ. The first, ad, or the first advent of Christ, the birth of Christ. The second advent would be the coming of Christ. So we're looking forward for two advents. Well, we celebrate this Christmas, the first advent, the birth of Christ. We do so in anticipation of that further fulfillment to which Micah talks about, that second coming of Christ when he will reign on the throne of David, not in a spiritual sense in the kingdom that is here but not yet, but in a literal physical sense when the kingdom is here on earth. So as we approach Christmas, one of the things we should remember is that this is remembering back to the first advent, but like Micah and Isaiah as they wrote, there's more to come still. We just have a small deposit of what will be in the future, and the future will be so much better at the second advent of Christ Jesus. Whoops. Now, I want to move ahead to to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, where we see that Matthew used the fulfillment. In verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, from you shall come, so go out, leave a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. First, a recognition that the Bethlehem spoken in Micah is the Bethlehem, which we see Christ is born in. And the second goes back to this idea of a shepherding his people, which I think is very important. So Matthew's use is consistent. When he pulls and he he, he interprets what Micah is saying as, here's the first advent, Christ has come, the Messiah that you've been looking at, it is correct. Secondly, we also see this, and, and Jesus picks up his role, and John spends much more time on this, this role as a shepherd. So when we think of Christmas, we often think of the sheep in, or the shepherds in the field looking after their sheep. But there's also this role when you look back into the prophecy of Christ going to be the shepherd of his people. And, and John picks that up, this concept that the Lord is my shepherd. You look in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand 
and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So when I, when I approach Christmas, and I, and I don't know about you, but one of the things in approaching Christmas is thinking through all the roles that Christ fits. That he, 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 he meets the role as far as being that uh, from Genesis, the answer to Genesis. The fact that he is going to bring in a reign of peace. And one of the beautiful aspects is this aspect of shepherding. That God cares for his sheep. So when we have people that are going through rough times, um, whether it's walking with the wife as, as you and, and um, Ernie are doing right now and, and the Ramseys are going through, or with a daughter, that we have a shepherd there that cares. So that when times are tough, it's, it's not as we see here in John, when times show up, God steps aside. He doesn't step aside. He walks that path with us. And he walks every step of the way to encourage us and, and, and to, to work in our lives and to give us the strength that we need to walk that journey. Because some of the journeys in life are not fun. So when we think of Christmas and we always think of the shepherds in the field, but what about the shepherd that Christ is to us? What are some of the thoughts you have when you think of Christmas? in the fulfillment of the prophecies. Is there anything that sticks out into your mind? You guys were silent this morning, and you're silent tonight. Is there anything in, in the role of where we see God fulfilling through Jesus Christ that particularly touches your life as you approach Christmas? Okay. Yes, we can see that he keeps his promises Anything else strike you at Christmas time as you celebrate? And you think back to the birth. Uh, it, it's fascinating when you begin to look and how it it begins to weave its way from Genesis and even through De- Deuteronomy, which doesn't get talked a lot about at Christmas. That that he's that prophet, the greater prophet that's coming. And then as you get into um, the minor prophets, which we did a year ago, on numerous occasions, it talks again about a future Messiah, and the return to the land and how Israel will be brought back to the land at a different time. Um, so yes, it's woven through there. Anything else as you approach Christmas? Okay. I think that goes back to the shepherd part of being to come, coming alongside. What she said was that how God steps into the lives of ordinary people and cares for them and, and works with him. And I think that's the concept of a shepherd. That he's, he's there no matter what and walks alongside of us. Anyone else? Yes, Prince of Peace. Okay, that one from Isaiah, that wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. And, and the peace that we can have in that relationship. We talked a little bit about that this morning, the sense of going to him in prayer and knowing that he hears us and that I find peace in that, knowing that I can go to the Lord in prayer and, and he's listening and, and assurance that when I'm asking him for wisdom and for, for these different things so I can live out the kingdom, he hears. And it's not that he doesn't and it's not that he doesn't care. Jim, you had your hand up. Yes, they are. 
We talked a lot about that last week, the incarnation of Christ, the importance of it. And then without the incarnation, we don't have salvation. Without the incarnation, everything that we believe as Christians falls apart. It all hinges on that Christ came as man, God, and was able to take care of our sins because he was God. Otherwise, we still live in our sins. Finished up in, in verse 14 through to the 16. I am the good shepherd. I, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not in this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. The bringing together of the church outside of Israel which incorporates us to come alongside, to be part of God's family, and that he leads us in every way. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I will take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Again, we get back to the incarnation. Unless he was God, there was no way he would be able to lay down his own life, his own accord, and then take it back up again. And we see how much the shepherd cares for us. And I always think, as I think of Christmas, Christmas looks toward Easter and the second advent. Christmas is always a precursor. I know it falls last in our calendar year, but it always looks forward to Easter and for the purpose to which Jesus Christ was born. That purpose was to lay down his life as a good shepherd for his sheep. Otherwise, all of us would be lost in the wilderness, eaten by wolves, however you want to say it, without the good shepherd who laid down his life that we might have life. And, and, and Easter also looks forward again, as Christmas does, to that second advent, when Christ will return and wrap everything up often think of that day, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I often think when you watch at the end of a movie if somebody's been, sometimes they do those snappy little endings where somebody steps out into the scene and goes, that's a wrap. And I always picture that one day Christ is going to step into our scene and go, that's a wrap, folks, we're done. And it's going to be that quick. I forget which movie it was, was it? We don't watch many movies. I think it was, might have been the one on C.S. Lewis where they kind of step out at the end of it and they just, that's a wrap, and it was very unexpected. And I, I think of that's what it's going to be like when we have the second advent. It's going to be so unexpected, and it's going to be done. But Christmas looks forward to all that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we look at Genesis through to Deuteronomy and into the Minor Prophets and the New Testament, we can see your hand upon all of it. We can see your hand working and weaving through history to bring us to the point where we look forward to that coming of Jesus Christ in the first advent. And at that coming, that creates for us an opportunity of salvation where you have died on a cross and now returned to heaven. And we wait for that second advent for when all does wrap up. So as we ponder Christmas, may we remember that it does point towards Easter in the final advent 
when all is wrapped up and we are with you in glory forever and ever. Father, as we go through the Christmas season and we think of those that are in the community, those that may be in our family, that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, we pray for them. We ask that you'll give opportunity uh, for us to witness and to share with them. And Father, that they, you will work on their hearts to draw themselves, draw them to yourself. And Father, that this might be a Christmas for them to remember as they finally come to the Lord and come to you as their personal Savior. So Father, we thank you for tonight, for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.